Hi everyone, this is going to be a short podcast on hormonal medications, pharmacology, and so I'm going to start with just talking a little bit about vasopressin, which is antidiuretic hormone, and with with diabetes insipidus, of course, it is deficient. We have a deficiency in that. And so one of the medications that can be given with that is desmopressin acetate or DDAVP. And this medication is basically a synthetic vasopressin. And so it can either be given as a sublingual melt or it can be given intranasally. Now, one of the biggest things I want you to remember with this medication is that it can cause fluid overload. And so it's really important for the patients to be weighing themselves daily and for us to be watching for those signs and symptoms of fluid overload. Now, with SIADH, when somebody has SIADH symptom and appropriate antidiuretic hormone, when their sodium levels are really low, one of the medications that we talked about was the hypertonic sodium chloride, which is that 3% sodium chloride infusion. And remember that this is a Hylar medication, so two nurses have to check it. has to be given very slow and it will be a trip. And again, with this one, it can also cause um, fluids to shift. And so it can also cause the fluid overloads. Again, we're going to be watching for that JVD, crackles, shortness of breath, peripheral edema, and wanting to intervene if somebody started to have those problems with the breathing or crackles or whatnot. Now, Tolvaptin that is an oral medication for SADH, and that one has a black box warning <clears throat> for the sodium rapidly increasing. And um, those increases would be like 12 milliequivalents increase in 24 hours. And that can cause some serious issues. Of course, um, when we think about our brain and cerebral edema and what the problems like that, it can cause some problems there. So it's really important for us to be watching our sodium level and watch for hypernatremia and make sure that if the sodium level becomes normal, we would want to get that medication stopped. Now, the next medications I'm going to be talking about are your I'm sorry, solumedrol and um, your prednisones. And basically, the these things are going to kind of go along with anybody who has Cushing's. Because remember, with Cushing's, we have hypercortisolism. Um, so there's too much. So I'm going to kind of go over just some things that go along with that. And then, so this would be for somebody who has Cushing's or somebody who is on um, steroids or is getting steroid replacements. So, of course, we want to teach them about the signs and symptoms of cortisol um, deficiency or Cushing syndromes and report those signs and symptoms. Um, We do want them to wear a medical alert bracelet <clears throat> we, um, if they are on the floor enough, we want to make sure they know how to check their blood pressure, that they need to increase their salt intake, and to report any significant changes to their healthcare provider. And um, we want to um, remember that. Um, 
critical steroids are used to relieve signs and symptoms associated with many diseases, but they're really only going to be used if we really have to use them. We don't want to use this for minor conditions. <clears throat> and because um, there's always a p potential benefit of those treatments, but there's always a weight against those risks. So example, um, the beneficial effect of corticosteroids in one situation may be harmful in another. For example, um, decreasing inflammation and arthritis is an important therapeutic effect, but it increases the risk for infection. Of course, that's a harmful effect. And of course, we know that that is one of those things that goes along with steroids. And then suppression of inflammation and the immune response may help save lives in persons with anaphylaxis and those receiving an organ, organ transplant. But it also causes reactivation of latent tuberculosis and greatly reduces resistance to other infections and cancers. <clears throat> And then the vasopressive effect of corticosteroids is critical in enabling a person to function in stressful situation, but this effect can produce hypertension when used for drug therapy. Of course, hypokalemia can develop, hypocalcemia can, um, can develop related to anti-vitamin D effect. Glucose intolerance um, predisposes those people to diabetes with steroids um, blood pressure increases because of the excess blood volume <clears throat> and potential vasoconstrictor effects. And then the hypertension, of course, puts them at high risk for heart failure. Healing is delayed. So um, we know that somebody who has a wound, they're at a greater risk for wound dehiscence. And there's that increased susceptibility of infection. And that infection develops more rapidly and it spreads more widely. And then if they do have manifestations of inflammation, that redness, tenderness, heat, and swelling, and local edema, those things are suppressed. There's a predisposition to peptic ulcer disease, and that's partly because of that mucosa. There's a mucus that's um, inhibited in the belly. There's skeletal muscle atrophy and weakness, mood and behavior changes, fat from extremities is redistributed to the trunk and face. And protein depletion decreases bone formation, density, and strength, leading to predisposition to pathological fractures, especially compression fractures, the vertebrae, secondary to that osteoporosis that can happen from that long-term cortisone. Suppression of um, pituitary ACTH synthesis, um, cortisone deficiency is likely if hormones are withdrawn abruptly. And we know that that can cause somebody to have some serious issues and potentially die. And so it's really important that anybody who's getting corticosteroids get really detailed instructions. Um, if they are going to be taking it um, as um, a replacement type of thing, remember that they're going to be taking two-thirds of their dose in the morning and a third of the dose in the evening, and that's to mimic that circadian rhythm. <clears throat> um, other things to include in instructions with corticosteroids is plan a diet high in protein and calcium, at least 1,500 milligrams a day, and potassium, but low in fat and concentrated simple carbohydrates such as sugar, honey, syrups, and candy. Um, also need to teach them to identify measures to, 
to ensure that they get adequate rest and sleep, such as daily naps or avoidance of caffeine late in the day. <clears throat> and they need to develop and maintain an exercise program that helps to maintain their bone integrity. They need to be able to recognize edema and ways to restrict sodium intake to less than 2,000 milligrams a day if edema does occur. And they need to monitor the glucose levels and recognize symptoms of hyperglycemia. So the typical things we learned about with diabetes, polydipsia, polyuria, and that blurred vision. And then they need to report hyperglycemic symptoms or if they have that capillary glucose reading greater than 120. Mm -hmm. They need to notify the healthcare if experiencing any heartburn after meals or epigastric pain that is not relieved by antacids. Um, that would be cause for worrying about a peptic ulcer. They need to see an eye specialist yearly to make sure that they're not getting those cataracts that can develop. They need to use safety measures such as getting up slowly from better chair and good lighting to avoid accidental injury. Maintain good hygiene practices and avoid contact with persons who are colds or other contagious illnesses because of that decreased um, ability to fight infection and their ability to get it. And then they need to inform all healthcare providers about long-term corticosteroid use. So I knew that was just a ton of stuff about steroids. Um, next, I'm going to talk about our <clears throat> thyroid medications. And so the first one that I'm going to talk about is our PTU or the purple thyroracil. And so with the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the PTU, of course, um, a patient with hyperthyroidism could either be getting the PTU or the methimazole. And um, it's important, again, to teach patients to avoid the crowds or people who are sick because this also, these medications also reduce the ability to um, for the immune response and increases the risk for infection. They need to also watch for weight gain, potential for bradycardia and cold intolerance. And of course, those are signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism. And then the dose would need to be adjusted and lowered. And if they're taking the PTU, they need to report if they have darkening of the urine or any yellow appearance to the skin or whites of the eyes. And then that could tell us that there's a liver toxicity, toxicity or failure, which is one of those serious side effects of PTU. And then women who are taking the methimazole, they need to notify their healthcare provider if they become pregnant because um, that drug should not be used during pregnancy. So they would have to be used to PTU during the first beginning and then potentially get you switched. And then that Lugol solution, of saturated solution of potassium iodine or SSKI, um, these medications <clears throat> need to be administered orally after a, a thionamide has been given because initially the iodine agents can cause an increase in the production of thyroid hormones. And so giving that thionamide first prevents the initial increase in thyroid hormone production. And it's important for these that medication to check the patient for a fever or rash and ask about the metallic taste in the mouth, mouth sores, or sore throat or GI distress because those are indications of having the iodism, which is a toxic effect of these drugs and may need to have the drug discontinued. <clears throat> 
And then, of course, um, we did talk about beta-adrenergic blocking medications such as your propanolol or atenolol as being medications that might be used for somebody with <clears throat> hyperthyroidism to help with that jitteriness and to help with their tachycardia. Um, and then we talked about the radioiodine, radioactive iodine and chart 63-4. Um, this is important that ideally we would want the person to use the toilet if they could by themselves. But again, if they only have one toilet in the house, then that's um, <clears throat> one of those things. Um, males or females, they need to sit to avoid splashing. They need to flush the toilet three times after each use. If urine is spilled on the toilet seat or floor, they need to use paper tissues or towels to clean it up and then bag them <clears throat> and take those to the hospital's radiation department. Men with urinary incontinence should use condom catheters um, rather than absorbent gel briefs or pads. Women with urinary incontinence should use facial tissue layers in their clothing to catch urine rather than absorption gel filled um, briefs or pads. <clears throat> and then those tissues can be flushed on the toilet. They absolutely should use a laxative on the second and third days. And that's to help them excrete the contaminate stool faster. And so regardless of whether they had a bowel movement or not, they need to take that. Um, they need to wash their clothes separately um, and then run a full washing machine cycle on empty before <clears throat> washing it with other people. They need to stay away from women that are pregnant, infants, and young children for the first week, and then at least three feet away from these people and limit exposure to them then no more than an hour daily. <clears throat> and then so some radioactivity will be in the saliva during the first week. So some of the other things that help with that is not sharing toothbrushes and toothpaste tubes, using disposable tissues rather than the cloth handkerchiefs, um, using disposable utensils, plates, and cups, and then selecting foods that can be completely eaten and that do not result in saliva contained coated remnants. So that would be things with um, like chicken wings or legs or ribs, something that you would eat and your mouth is touching that bone and you're leaving. Um, <clears throat> you would want to get the meat off of the bone and throw the bone away and then just eat that meat. So it's not that they can't have it. We just don't want them to be wrapping their lips around that bone and then throwing that bone away. <clears throat> All right. And then let's see, is there anything else? Oh, levothyroxine. Um, I think we talked pretty much about levothyroxine. Um, the big thing with levothyroxine is you need to take it on an empty stomach. It needs to be um, taken in the morning, and it needs to be taken with a full glass of water. Um, of course, we'd want to check blood pressure and heart rate, make sure that we don't have any of those problems with um, the potential problems with that. And I think that is most of the medications that I could, um, looked at that was on your topical outline and that seemed appropriate for this. So I hope this was helpful for you. And um, let me know if you have any questions on Padlet. Thanks.